Hello all you cool cats and kittens. This is KSKQ 89.5 FM, Ashland, Oregon, and KSKQ Translator, K231CW, 94.1 FM, Medford, Oregon. Also streaming at www.kskq.org. For a moment there, didn't we just sound like so international, so refined? Like, I know the, the current value of a euro or the mysteries of how to properly use a bidet, and yet it was just me with a made-up, indeterminate European accent. Oh, well. It was exciting for the moment, though, right? And to carry on with weird things that we do and maybe we're just slightly bored, I have written an introductory song. Are you ready? This is in honor of Bobby. DJ, drop that beat. We are three friends doing what we do. We like to tell stories and play some songs too. We really hope you like it and that you stay tuned. Dream infringement roll call. Bobby, he got those beats. He got those metaphors. He's playing the guitar, but right now he's indoors. to the show. Whew, got that out of my system and it feels good. In the back of my mind, the public response is very similar to Mackenzie from Toddlers and Tiaras. I'm going to play a clip that has a little bit of an intro, but the punchline is, is the thing right at the end. Are you ready to hear, like, a monster child? Nene is Mackenzie's passy. We're slowly trying to wean her off of Nene. It's like an addiction to her. Scary old Nene! Don't ever do that again! That's right. Visions of Mackenzie going, Don't ever do that again! often run through my mind on a lot of things and that that's what I was imagining happening and so this is actually fitting in so well to the theme of the show for this week which is tangents but you never saw that coming but tangents it's something that I do a lot of so I'm gonna look up the definition for you maybe there'll be a little like Latin root that's always fun okay so tangent it's a noun like the top definition is mathematical. A straight line or plane that touches a curve or curved surface at a point, but if extended does not cross it at that point. But the secondary definition is the one we're going for, and that is a thought that touches but doesn't intersect or is irrelevant. So in a conversation, like you're all on the conversation train, destination, end of the story, and suddenly that train is derailed. That train is now free range, cross country, off the tracks, going where trains should perhaps not go. The passengers are either frightened because you have done this to them, or they are bored because you have now descended into the irrelevant waters of iniquity. And then you have to do a little mental U-turn, usually a, ha ha, what was I talking about again? Oh, that's right. And then you're back on. And so that's, that's a tangent. Like this is a tangent. Basically, I just wanted to talk about something for a long time and, but I didn't want to make it a theme because I didn't want to like impose that on Bobby and Emily where they would have to find something that kind of matched it to also talk about that seemed difficult so I was like well maybe you can find something that you also just really want to share that you know isn't 
all interconnected except for the fact that it's just something we wanted to talk about and they humored me as they do so very kindly so here we are um, we'll play you a song uh, we probably need one just to like kindly wash your eardrums out of what I did to you earlier in the show that whole never do that again situation that I uh, created so here we go yes Jennifer Let's give them something to talk about. That's not what you said, but that's the song we're going to listen to. Let's give them something to talk about by Bonnie Raitt. People are talking. Hello, this is Jennifer. This is my tangent. So Facebook has this algorithm where it will show you things that you posted in past years and I realized that I documented a lot of my dreams that were like funny or weird or quirky from years gone by. I think it changes depending on what kind of medication you're on and whatever I was taking at that time was really giving me an active dream life but I thought a lot of them are funny. I'm convinced that you might think they're funny too even though I know Telling people about your dreams is sort of universally acknowledged that it can be like a very boring thing. I have them in year order, but not like chronological by month. June. I kept dreaming that I went to someone's house and they were offering me Greedos because those were by far the most friendly and hospitable chips, unlike Cheetos or Fritos, I guess. We're into 2011, December. I dreamed that I went to just a very very bad musical production of Zorro. So before I quote my dream, CME is continuing medical education and it's like these credits that doctors and other medical people sometimes have to accrue yearly to show that they are keeping up with things and like because you don't want your you know doctor to get rusty. <laughs> so anyway, CME. So quote from Dreamland, well, running a meth lab is not a good way to earn CME credits, which I mean, it might be, I don't know. It's definitely a chemistry. March, I had this random dream that I was going to prom with Molly Ringwald's 80s hair. And according to the dream dictionary, to see hair in your dream signifies sexual virility, seduction, sensuality, vanity, and health. That's great. My inner seductress is the equivalent of Molly Ringwald's hair. Though that may explain a few things. March. Had a dream about a real estate agent working in produce. Like, now on the market is a newly grown banana cluster featuring three full bananas and a recently updated product of Mexico sticker. It's in a desirable part of the produce section, conveniently close to the oranges and potatoes. If you would like to see other available options, perhaps I can show you something in the style of a plantain or kiwi. July. I dreamt I was looking for a house to rent that would let me have my cats and pet ostrich. I was really like... Well, I mean, I like the backyard fence. It looks tall enough to keep my ostrich in. Do you think the neighbors will bother my ostrich? Like it was a status symbol. According to dream moods, to see an ostrich in your dream suggests you're not facing reality or you're in denial, but then also it can symbolize truth and justice. Was my dream ostrich the ostrich of truth and justice? Or was it the ostrich of denial? I don't know. 2012, January. I dreamt about this woman who built and invented things in her attic, particularly this little robot named Clyde. He was kind of a rusty blue and mustard yellow and quite adorable. And he was always following her around, looking beseeching as much as a robot can, wanting to be helpful, and she was always saying, Not now, Clyde. I'm not normally into robot friends, but I wish this cute robot named Clyde existed, and I wish not now, Clyde, was a catchphrase. Last night, 
I was having this really horrible and sad dream, and I was woken up by my cat, Quinn. She was standing over me, looking concerned, tapping me on the shoulder with her little paw repeatedly, and that's when I realized that I've been crying in my sleep. So I have a cat that's on Nightmare Patrol. I don't know what that says about my other cat, Nico, who was passed out at the other end of the bed all night. June. I dreamt I went to Goodwill and I found a miniature Loch Ness monster, forgotten and shoved away in a corner in a dirty little tank, making sad noises. Unfortunately, the Goodwill was charging $535.85 for it. I looked up in the Dream Dictionary and it means that you have lost respect for someone that you once admired, which was true. Now every time I see that person, even now, 2020, I can't stop thinking about them as the sad little Goodwill Loch Ness monster. December. There were two stuck in a dream me's trying to figure out how to wake me up. Me one. I can't get out of this dream. Check this out. I'm totally feeling the headboard. It feels so real. Me too. You have to wake up. You just dreamed you got five traffic tickets. This dream is really stressful and I don't want to be in this dream anymore. Pinch yourself. They always do that in movies. Did you? Me one. Ouch. Yeah. But it was a dream pinch. I keep thinking I'm doing it in real life, but I'm just dreaming that I'm doing it. Me too. Okay. Okay. I got it. Hold your breath. It'll wake real you up because you have to breathe. It'll work. Me one. Okay. Here I go dream pinches nose. And yes, this did work like a charm. I shot right up out of that dream gasping for air in real life. So way to go dream team me's. We did it. Now we're into 2013. We are just flying through my subconscious. July. I had a dream that I was at a hotel and the only way you could get into your hotel room was with a key and a cat. And this man was like, oh, I could got locked out. Can I borrow your cat for a moment? And I was like, I mean, I guess so, but you better bring him back. I mean, I don't want to get locked out of my hotel room. I dreamed I was a valiant hero in beating a horrible dictator in a sort of water world. Make that a water park world. It was a very big, evilly run water park, and I was like in this full costume with blue face and body paint and a leather cape and beaded hair when suddenly I found myself waiting to be seated at a very normal present-day Italian restaurant still decked out in this outfit right behind an ex-boyfriend and I kept thinking maybe he wouldn't notice or recognize me but then I woke up before I got to find out. April I dreamt my mom was sewing floral leisure pantsuits for Elvis, who was hanging out with Vin Diesel, who happened to be the original lead singer for Linkin Park. May. I dreamt my mom was single, and she was being pursued by the actor Patrick Stewart. For some reason, I didn't want this union to occur, but he's Sir Patrick Stewart. Of course I didn't stand a chance, so I took to calling him Daddy Warbucks behind his back, and then saying that... Ben Kingsley is a better bald actor than you. Also in the stream, Danny DeVito may have been my father. So, I mean, way to upscale mom. January. I dreamed the real reasons the Mayans disappeared was because they slipped into a time portal ruled by a Mayan warrior king named Ithaca. May. I dreamt I had this female rabbit named Hubert and I kept trying to discuss the Celtic influences on the Titanic soundtrack with my friend Melody as she was trying to get directions from a very large prostitute who had a giant tattoo that said fashion show um, and she kept buying sitch gum because it's the perfect gum for any of life's situations. December. I dreamt I was at work and a cougar peed on me and I was confused. Was that a good enough reason to leave work early? I mean, I'm wet, I smell terrible, there's an incontinent wild cougar prowling around outside. I mean, I don't know, should I leave early? Maybe I should change my clothes. I was very confused about how to handle the whole thing. May. I dreamt my mom told me a gentleman requested to be introduced to me because of my quiet, calm dignity. And I said, quiet? 
are you sure he's got the right person because I don't think he has the right person and I can't really blame my dream self for being skeptical about this. November. I dreamt I was so mean to Keanu Reeves that I made him cry and as I mounted my horse outside the restaurant he said like what do you want and I felt really guilty and I was trying to be nice so I said um well can I touch your hair? But then it backfired because I said, uh oh, it's really coarse and sweaty, gross. June. I dreamt that I was at this big benefit ga gala and Bobby McFerrin was sitting next to me and Tom Cruise was across from me and Bobby McFerrin kept joking how Tom Cruise piloted him all over in his personal plane. But then the strange grunge band started playing and kept throwing mannequins off of building saying that it was their commentary about the human condition. We are into 2014! I dreamt that all I really wanted to do was own a ranch and raise miniature cattle, which is odd because I dislike doing any of the things that this would involve. And have you seen miniature cows? They're like the dachshunds of the bovine world. I didn't really know that they were existed until I dreamed about them. They look like regular cows with little itty bitty tiny legs. July. I dreamt I had to sell my car, which for some reason meant having to cover it in a layer of Vaseline first. In real life that might be one of the number one things you could ever do to absolutely discourage someone from buying a vehicle from you. September dreamt I was a teenager and some of the t other teenagers started getting superpowers and there was this one guy that was a bully and he got the ability to fly. We were all really jealous until we realized that every time he flew he emitted giant fumes of flatulence in his wake and then we weren't so jealous. November I dreamt a company pulled up in front of my house, told me that my skills had been outsourced by the government because they did not have enough people available, and I was supposed to help look for clues to solve a murder by documenting everything I found in this woman's apartment. What was interesting is that it wasn't anyone that I knew or had ever seen in my personal life, and my brain made up an entire person along with their vacation, uh, pictures about jungles and pottery and journals, and then I didn't really solve anything. I just spied on a stranger's life. 2015! February. I dreamt I was from one of the richest families in the world and I was just really trying to score with Mandy Patinkin. Not even the Inigo Montoya version, the current version. And I was trying to impress him with our mall-sized mansion and asked if he would like to see our underground aviary because that's where normal people keep their exotic birds. June. I dreamt this gruff man at a pub threw a unicycler out of his establishment because last time he came in he pretended he was George Harrison for two hours. So unicycling beetles impersonators are not allowed in dreamland. From 2017, I dreamt I went to a parade that was held around a school track and Nicolas Cage showed up dressed as a giant red chili pepper. And as he ran around the track, we all sang Rick Astley's song, The Never Gonna Give You Up, Never Gonna Let You Go. So I got Rick rolled in my dreams. So I'm taking a song break here and I'm gonna Rick roll ya in real life. Hey there, Emily here with your next tangent. You've heard of Britney Spears, right? Okay, that's good. Well, in recent weeks, fans of Britney Spears have become very concerned for her, and the hashtag Free Britney has been all over the internet. And I'm assuming that you all want to know why, right? Well, First of all, I want to start off by saying that Britney Spears has an Instagram account. That's right, like many of us, she is on social media. Except her Instagram account is peculiar. 
there's often a, a camera in the room as, or a phone or some sort of recording device because there has to be for you to be on a visual medium such as Instagram. Um, and Britney Spears will twirl in and out of the frame, kind of flip her hair from side to side, smile, and look blankly into the camera. Sometimes she changes outfits as she's twirling back and forth. She dances. There's a lot of motivational quotes, just like so many emojis. It is it is odd in comparison to other celebrities' Instagram accounts. You kind of have to just see it for yourself if you haven't already. So some fans, especially lately, have been feeling like this peculiarity in her social media isn't just the expression of an eccentric yet sweet person, but rather a cry for help through secret coded messages. Now, why does Britney Spears need help? Why would she be sending out secret coded messages? Well, it all started back in 2007 and around 2008 when our dear princess of pop started acting a bit erratically. She drove a car with her infant son on her lap, she shaved her head, and she attacked a photographer's car with an umbrella. She was then placed under a 5150 or 5150 hold, which is the number of the section of the Welfare Institutions Code, which allows an adult who is experiencing a mental health crisis to be involuntarily detained for a 72-hour psychiatric hospitalization when evaluated to be a danger to others or to himself or herself or gravely disabled. So that's what that means. At the time, a close friend of hers said that uh, she did this voluntarily. Um, Apparently that is not a friend of hers now, so I don't know that we can trust that information, Um, but that's a tangent for a different episode. So all of that Uh, led her father, Jamie Spears, to file for emergency temporary conservatorship over Britney. And if you're like me, then you're not very well versed in legal terms and you're like, what does that mean? Well, I'm here to tell you. That's what a tangent's all about. A conservatorship is a legal concept where a court appoints a person to manage an incapacitated person or minor's financial and personal affairs. The conservator's duties include overseeing finances, establishing and monitoring the physical care of the conservatee or ward, and managing living arrangements. So you can see how that would make sense in some cases. Um, A lot of times people do this for family members or people who are in comas or just are very, very ill. But this particular emergency temporary conservatorship has lasted over 12 years. And this, my dear listeners, is why we are worried about Britney. So in 2009, a concerned fan started a website called freebritney.net, and that called into question the conservatorship. According to the site, this is a direct quote, it says, During the 12 years of Spears' conservatorship, she has repeatedly toured the world, released multiple albums, and worked on a variety of television shows. The site goes on to say her conservators decide whether or not she works, as she cannot enter into contracts for herself because she is legally not her own person. Britney Spears needs permission from her conservators to leave her house or spend any of her own money. So the conservatorship just keeps getting reviewed and extended year after year. And her father, Jamie, admitted in court in 2019, and he said, me and my daughter's relationship has always been strained. This doesn't sound like maybe the best person to have complete control over someone. Like if your relationship is strained, it just doesn't bode well. Apparently the conservatorship was up for review again this year, then the pandemic hit. So that got pushed off, but people um, were really excited to see if the conservatorship would get extended again, or if Brittany would have some thoughts on whether or not she actually wanted to be in it anymore because part of the conservatorship laws, I guess, um, is kind of like Fight Club. You can't talk about it. Britney Spears um, is not allowed to talk about the conservatorship. So there's some other speculation on what this conservatorship means for her. And according to pop culture watchdog Diet Prada, which 
I don't know that this is legit, but it sounds like it, so I'm gonna read it anyway. Spears cannot drive a car, vote, get married, have children, spend her own money, speak publicly about the conservatorship, and more. Her activity is extremely irregular for conservatives, say experts, fans, and celebrities like Miley Cyrus and Rose McGowan, who have also rallied behind the hashtag FreeBritney movement to end the conservatorship, expressing worries that Spears is amassing a fortune for her conservators while being deprived of her rights as an individual, like leaving the house, seeing her children, or spending her own money. So this brings me back around to the second level of this tangent, and that is the conspiracy theory surrounding her peculiar Instagram posts, which I mentioned earlier. Are they secret coded messages? Maybe. So I went over to Reddit because if anyone can crack the code that Brittany might be trying to give us, it's Redditors. And here are some examples of the messages that people think she is sending. One of her more recent Instagram posts, somebody wrote in the comments, Brittany, if you need help, wear yellow in your next video. And Brittany did wear yellow in her next video. Um, another example is someone in the comments writing to her, hey Brittany, if you need help, clap four times. And in her next video, she did do a dance where she clapped several times. I, I'm not sure if it was four, but it was enough to spark some curiosity as to whether that was her actual call for help. She has also posted a picture of herself, and people on Reddit say that if you zoom in on it, you can see that she has photoshopped her lower eyelashes to say, call 911. So I looked at this one, and knowing that information, like, I could kind of see it. Like, I could I could kind of see it, but I could also see that maybe it wasn't on purpose and that someone was just reading into it. So then I showed Bobby the picture without explaining all of this to him. And I said, you know, well, I guess I did. It wasn't like a, a true test because I was like, tell me if you see anything in her, her bottom eyelashes. And he did make out the words, the word call, um, but he, he didn't see like 911 on the other eyelashes. So it's hard to say. She also has a boyfriend who may or may not be living with her and there is some speculation amongst her fans and the redditors that that he's not actually her boyfriend that he is a handler and kind of like a spy to kind of report information back to her father or whoever you know who's in charge of her at the moment so <sighs> i don't know i feel Feel very sad for Brittany. I think that she is has gone through a lot and probably has suffered from a lot of trauma as a child and a child in Hollywood. It seems like no one it's very rare for someone in Hollywood to grow up and escape having something terrible happen to them. And I hope that she can find some peace and I hope that if she does need to be freed that she can be and I hope that she does well on her own if that happens so I'm behind it I'm behind the free Britney hashtag now <laughs> maybe you are too so the song I chose is toxic uh, but it's a cover by postmodern jukebox featuring Melinda Doolittle baby can't you see I'm calling a guy like you. Well, we've reached about the halfway mark of our show, and I'm here to tell you that you are listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM Ashland, Oregon, and 94.1 FM Medford, Oregon. And from dream infringement to you, we just want to say keep wearing your masks, keep washing your hands keep staying safe and healthy out there and let's turn this mic over to bobby and his tangent bobby what do you got for us thanks emily so i just would like to make a brief 
note that I found it extremely fascinating, Jennifer, that you had a dream about a cougar peeing on you and that in your mind you were debating whether that was a valid enough reason to go home early from work. And I just want to say that's totally valid. If any wild predatorial animal has peed on you at work, you should definitely have every right to go home early. So that's me weighing in on that. Also, I love the idea that Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, in your dream world, is trying to get with your mom because I think any of us would be flattered, frankly, uh, by having to struggle with that difficulty. Also, Emily, I don't think your Britney Spears piece is a tangent because, first of all, it is relevant. Second of all, it matters and has everything to do with everything. So thank you, Emily, for that public service announcement. Okay, on to my tangent. I know you can all agree with me that the world is pretty crazy right now. I think that would be an understatement. And one of the things that I think I've struggled with with all of the greater world changes that we've all had to experience, I know I'm not alone in this, um, is with my identity. My identity as an extrovert, as a social person, because a lot of who I am relies on being able to have conversations and meet new people and connect with them in many different ways. And I realized when those things were taken away from me that a large part of my identity had to do with being able to be a part of groups and go to the movies and go out to eat and have dinner parties and go have new experiences socially and be around lots and lots of people. And that is no longer. And so I had to really dig deep and find out like what is it about who I am at the core once you've stripped away all of those things that I think kind of create the zest in life, like all of the extra things in life that make us who we are. When you take all of those away, who are you in the end? And I'm realizing that a lot of this is creating a lot of like internal examination. And I appreciate that. I, I love that that's that it's doing that to me. At the beginning, I was really resistant. That was really extremely uncomfortable, but I'm grateful for it because it, it's creating situations where I can um, connect more with my family. Um, and not that I didn't do that before because I loved spending time with my children and with my wife, Emily, my co-host on the radio and also co-host in life. These were things that were really special to me, but take away all the distractions, all the busyness, all of the obligations that, you know, in our minds we categorized as obligations, but now are suddenly not things that we can do. And, and what do you have? You have conversations with the people who are closest to you. You have quiet moments with the ones who are under your roof. You have time to be alone and to be alone with your thoughts and to understand who you are. And again, I'm grateful for that. And a lot of the things that I've come to appreciate through all of this is the fact that I have become closer to nature. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, two boys, and I find myself spending a lot more time getting wet in creeks and going on hiking excursions and just taking walks in the evening and watching the sun go down together and eating snacks outside and um, listening to the sounds of of the world around us. And, and I appreciate the time that I've been given for those kinds of pauses. And so I am going to play you a little bit of a recording that I made 
when my son and I went camping last year. And I know that the world was not under any kind of quarantine or pandemic. The world was kind of, you know, what we consider to be normal. Um, well, once normal. And so here is a uh, here's a little bit of an experience that I had. And, and, and I think it's an echo of what a lot of us are experiencing right now. What is your favorite thing about camping, Weston? In the morning, I like to see the sun shining through my tent. In the morning, you like to see the sun shining through your tent. I like the color of our tent. Yeah. But it's blue. Yeah, our tent is blue. Do you have any other favorite things about camping? Picking blackberries. Picking blackberries. Putting them in your oatmeal. Putting them in your oatmeal. Those are all good things. And marshmallows. Why do you think people go camping? Maybe it's because uh, their children have done very good. Oh, like it's a reward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and that, like that popsicle, like that cookies and cream Oreo thing I had. Oh, yeah. That's the... like camping. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> at the little camping store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Those are all wonderful things. What's the worst thing about camping? Dad, there's no worst thing about camping. Oh, sorry. Well, I had to ask. The worst thing? Just to be completely transparent. Mm-hmm. If you can't think of the worst thing about camping, then that's good. Why? I don't know. It means you like all of it. The worst thing about camping is if you fall to the fire. <laughs> that would be the worst thing about camping, yes. <laughs> Those are the all... The worst thing about camping is stepping in thorns. Stepping in thorns, yeah. And getting pokes, pokies in your hands when you're picking blackberries. Yeah. Do you think that when we're when you grow up and you're a, you're a grown man, do you think you'll still go camping with your pops? Sure. Yeah? I will. Cool. I'm finding that there are more moments like these, and I'm grateful for them. And I also want to take this opportunity to thank my almost seven-year-old for being such a team player when his daddy is doing his weird radio thing and recording conversations. I think that if you are a podcaster or someone who is affiliated with some type of radio or listening medium, audio medium... Um, more and more of your family members are experiencing this weird side of you, (laughs) especially under quarantine. So um, thank you to all the family members who are okay with subjecting themselves to being recorded and um, being a part of this journey. Uh, On top of all of this, I have discovered a weird parallel. And that is that every time in my life that I have felt insecure, I have also had this moment of self-reinvention. And I'll give you an example of this. When I was in fifth grade and I was, well, when I was just about to start fifth grade, I felt like I I was going into this new era of like maturity. And the summer before, I was very nervous about starting fifth grade because in my mind fifth graders were like so much older they they looked like like adults and I didn't think that I looked like an adult I felt like I looked like a little kid and so through the whole summer I toiled and put so much thought into my first day of fifth grade and what I was going to look like and how I was going to dress and even like mannerisms that I was going to have to make myself seem like I was going to like I was uh, you know a mature older person there were times that I had felt insecure about a gathering that I was going to as an adult um, and what was going to make me feel better and feel more comfortable was like finding like the perfect outfit having the right pants and the right shirt and the right shoes and even like having a fresh haircut i'm a firm believer in look good feel good 
feel good, play good. So that's all I have to say about that. I have recently gone through a moment of reinvention. So that should tell you my level of insecurity right now. (laughs) And that moment of reinvention is this. I find myself scrolling endlessly through the explore page of Instagram and I have found something that has totally changed my life. To me visiting something that I once enjoyed and I I won't leave you hanging any longer than I already have because you're probably at the edge of your seat. You're thinking to yourself, Bobby, what is it that you have reinvented yourself with what are what are you doing and so i will tell you i have discovered a an entire community of vans roller skaters and you're like what does that mean but that means nothing to me bobby okay i'll explain to you so there is a community of people all around the world who aren't just roller skaters okay roller skaters i'm talking about you know, shoes with four wheels, you lace them up, you go, you know, you go rolling, rolling around town um, or indoors or, or whatever, maybe roller derby comes to mind. The, these, these aren't just regular roller skates. What people are doing is they're buying high top vans, like the old school style, and they're putting like a metal plate in underneath the insole. And then they're screw, they're, you know, bolting basically like skate roller skating hardware to the bottom of their high top vans and just like tearing it up in the best way at skate parks and indoor skate parks outdoor skate parks all over town doing roller derby in them there's like this entire community and it it just blew my mind because I, at one time, if you are a past a listener of, of past episodes, um, in my childhood was crazy about roller skating. Like my family spent so much time at the roller skating rink. And um, in Tucson, Arizona, for those of you uh, who you know who might hail from there, maybe this will reach you know reach deep inside your memory bank and and remind you of something that you've long forgotten. There was a roller skating rink in Tucson, Arizona on the east side of town, and it was called Skate Country. And it had this awesome mural on the side of the building of like these people like skating and they were wearing like helmets and like their knee guards and elbow guards and they were just like flying and it was like so colorful and so cool. And I would like take part in, in contests, uh, like races um, on your roller skates and or roller blades, depending on whatever your you know what your style was, um, and I would take part in all those things, and I loved them so much. They were so much fun, and so the idea of mixing like something like my boyhood love roller skating with something that I very much as an adult love, which is classic Vans Van shoes. Um, I just, I'm crazy about it. So I, I'm in the process of, of building my own roller skating vans and, um, I'll kind of keep you guys up to date about my progress through that moment of this moment of self, self reinvention. So, so for now, what I will do is play a song. That song is Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper. And you might be wondering Bobby, why would you choose to play Lucindy Lauper? And I just like the song. That's all. Also, the longing in her voice. I like that too. All right, Jennifer, we are kicking it over to you. Give us some of that sweet Woodside introspective thought. Okay, and this is a vignette of interactions I had, like waking up and also just dealing with my alarm clock. 2015, I woke up with one thought on my mind. I need that book on quality handcrafted pyramids. 2012, the alarm kept going off and I kept pushing the snooze because I thought it was an alarm to wake a bear at the zoo and I was so frustrated. I was like, no, 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 it's not done hibernating yet. Don't wake it up. Oh no, it's going off again. You can't wake up the bear. This is why I'm late sometimes in the mornings. 2016, 
I woke myself up applauding the alarm clock. I wish I remembered that dream. I mean, was I congratulating it for its performance? 2013, I did it. I broke my cell phone, alarms, spirit, and will to wake me up. It died. There were warning signs I didn't heed. When it went off at a meeting or at midnight for no reason. But I didn't realize those were cries for freedom from my persecution of snooze button abuse. So then I tried my old alarm clock and it appears that I have a mutiny on my hands because that alarm didn't go off either. So I just bought one called the Cube, which seems impervious to resentment. And an update, the Cube is impervious to resentment. It uh, has like this kind of silicone cover. I've knocked it off, thrown it off the dresser all the time and it is still going strong. Sadly. 2013, I wish I could remember my dream because all I know is when the alarm went off, I woke up with one thought only and that was, I am not finished fighting crime. 2010, my cat's head equals not the snooze button for the alarm clock because that was a rude awakening for both of us. 2018, my alarm went off this morning and I opened my eyes to my cat staring at me neurotically and I wasn't really awake yet, so I said, it's okay, God, it's okay. It's an alarm, it's not a hate crime. But once I was fully conscious, I think the battery-operated morning screaming device is a hate crime against mornings. 2010, I woke up to my cat attacking my foot this morning, and I said, oh, darn, now I can't put that on my resume, and I went back to sleep. But I woke up with the memory of having said that. I just don't remember the dream that inspired it. Okay, slow clap. Yay, woo, you made it to the end of listening to me talk about my dreams for the last 10 years. Good on you. If I could like give out an award or like a sticker or a certificate of achievement of some sort, I would totally do that. And it's time for a song break. I'm going to play you, wham, wake me up before you go, go. You put the boom boom into my heart. You sound my soul sky high when your loving starts. All right, Dream Infringers, the moment you've been waiting for. Steve's Story Corner is back with part two of Finding the Badger. Timmy slowly woke with his head swimming slightly but clearing more and more each moment. He found himself lying down on the deck of the boat, yet it was not the same boat he had been on. His mind began to clear somewhat and he remembered the man jumping overboard and suddenly from behind him, a hand with a cloth soaked in a strange smelling liquid was placed over his mouth and nose. Now he was lying on the deck of a small boat, but it was not moving. Next to him and slowly awakening was his sister Becky. She too must have been drugged by someone. He sat up slowly, realizing that they were in a small boat. It was the same boat that had the light flashing on and off. Now the light was dark and the boat was tied to a dock been covered with a blanket to keep them warm. Timmy looked out at the ocean and realized that the sun was setting now. How long had they been unconscious? Who would do this to them? And why? Becky and Timmy were both fully awake now and neither had any answers. They looked down the pier past the small shed that sat empty and looked into the woods behind. The sun was beginning to set as they both got out of the boat to approach the beach, and then they noticed a glow from the distant trees. They began to slowly walk to the small hill that was ahead of them, using the well-worn path of stones that had long ago been placed carefully in the sand and led into the woods. As they approached the hill, they both began to hear the sound. At first it only sounded like the sound of a drum, but soon they heard singing. 
not just any song, but a song that both of them remembered from their father. As they climbed higher on the hill, the singing grew louder and the fire grew brighter. Then they were able to finally see a small group of figures, men who appeared to be Native Americans dancing in slow reverse circles and singing a song which meant so much to them. At the edge of that group stood a lone figure, much taller than anyone else. He stood still with his arms crossed, not moving at all. His face was covered with the mask of an animal. What it was they could not tell without getting closer. As they approached to get a clearer view, Timmy stepped on a small dry branch that snapped loudly. With a jolt, the tall man turned his head in their direction. It was now clear that the mask was of a familiar animal. It was the head of a badger. The man let out a yell and everyone stopped and stared in the direction he was pointing, not at the children, but at the mountain lion that stood not 15 feet away from them. Timmy and Becky froze in terror as the animal raised up and launched itself over their heads and plunged headlong into the forest, leaving them unharmed, but now in plain view of the circle of men below them and staring into the eyes of the man in the mask of the badger. He slowly removed the mask and they both realized this was the man who had spoken to them in cryptic poetry deck of the ship. This was the man who rolled the scroll toward them and then leapt over the side of the railing into the ocean below. Was this man a friend or an enemy? Where was their father and who really is the badger? Find out next time as we begin to unravel the mystery surrounding two children seemingly abandoned to fate and yet protected by an as yet unknown ally. This episode is not protected by anyone or anything. It has no rights whatsoever and is strictly held in the imagination of Civilly Elpser Productions, who is not particularly responsible for anything at all. Please keep your comments to yourself and reveal the secrets to no one. Until next time, this has been your host, Civilly Elpser, wishing you a safe and healthy evening. All right, folks, the time has come for us to conclude this show. We're really glad that you got to spend this hour with us and you can tune in next week, same time, same place, and listen to us say things into your ears. In the meantime, I'm going to play you out with an excellent song that I just discovered a couple weeks ago. That song is by John Coyneman and it's called Struck by Lightning. Enjoy. And until next week, bye!